0: If you have a Bible, go with me to Judges chapter 13. Judges chapter 13 and verse 1. We'll be there in just a second. Tonight, we're going to look at the life of Samson. And um, it's uh, ironic because one of the first, I think it was within the first three or four messages that I preached uh, as the interim pastor here, was a sermon on the life of Samson. And tonight is the second to last message. Uh, that I will preach as uh, interim pastor here. And so next week will be uh, my last sermon as your interim pastor, excited for you as you get ready to call a new uh, senior pastor uh, to the church. And so uh, continuing to pray for you and excited for what God has for you in the future. Uh, we'll be here in Judges 13, verse one, looking at the life of Samson in just a second. Uh, this this last week, I had a chance to um, teach pastors who are... Uh, uh, senior pastors and, and teach them in the uh, subject of preaching Christ from the whole Bible, and and I, I love getting a chance to hang out with pastors and and hearing the stories of what God is doing in and through them at their church, and uh, hearing stories of of um, amazing stories of people, uh, couples, and families who are leaving their job here in the United States and leaving their homes here in the United States and going as missionaries. Uh, to the unreached places of the world. It's an incredible thing to be able to hear about people who are going to tell folks about Jesus who've never heard about Jesus before. And so I love hearing those kinds of stories. But also as a pastor and as a minister, I hear stories about Christians that make me cringe. Uh, A couple of weeks ago, my wife and I were having dinner with some friends of ours. there are a couple uh, that's a friends of, our, uh, friends of ours who own and operate a uh, home construction business. And when we were having dinner with them, they told us, uh, they said, we're now three for three. And I said, what do you mean you're three for three? And they said, three times over the years that they have operated and owned this uh, home construction business, they said, now three times, out of all the three times it has happened, We've had couples or we've had families who asked to write Bible verses on the studs of their home who have been the most rude, obnoxious, and difficult people to deal with of any of the people that we've built homes for. And so the people that have asked to write Bible verses on the studs of their homes have cussed them out have been the most uh, rude to them when there's one day off of the deadline and have been the most merciless when it comes to interacting and dealing with them. And these are people who, uh, these are people, some of them who would be famous Christians that would go on TV and 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 uh, win an athletic uh, event and give glory and praise to their Savior, but in their interaction with these, uh, these contractors would be uh, rude and obnoxious. And so one of the things that uh, is unfortunately true is that Christian people, those who claim the name of Jesus, are capable of incredible good and are also capable of incredible evil and wickedness and hypocrisy. This is true about Christian people. And uh, we're going to see tonight in this story in Judges 13 through Judges 16 about a guy named Samson, a guy who was capable and that God used to do incredibly miraculous things and that also did incredibly wicked and evil things. I remember uh, this is about 20 plus years ago now when I was in Bible college, I was tra- talking with uh, a friend of my younger brother's, his name was Eric, and we were having this conversation about Samson. And he said, you know, Samson, like that guy, was he even like born again? Was he even saved? I mean, he was an incredibly awful guy. Uh, Tim Keller says about this story in Samson that if you were to take the life of Samson and put it on the big screen, it would, it would make a, a great movie for a summer thriller right? Because Samson was kind of the Israelite version of Rambo crossed with Hugh Hefner. He's this, this, this warrior, you know, violent guy who who did all of these things to defeat the Philistines. And he had pro- problems with women. He was lustful. And, and, uh, and so he's this cross between Rambo and Hugh Hefner, who in the end commits suicide. And so he's this this really awful character. And yet, the New Testament tells us about Samson that he was a hero of the faith who received the approval of God. So how is it that God could use an incredibly complex, messy, and flawed individual like Samson? And if he could do that, then what does that mean for our lives? And so here's what it's gonna, we're going to see in Judges 13 through Judges 16 is that God still uses sinner saints. God still uses sinner saints. If you, if a Bible, go to Judges 13 verse one. In preparation for our study, we're not going to read all of the four chapters that deal with the life of Samson. But in, in preparation for our study, we're going to read the first five verses of Judges 13. Please stand to your feet out of reverence for reading the words of God. This is what God's word says. And the people of Israel again did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. So the Lord gave them into the hand of the Philistines for 40 years. There was a certain man of Zorah of the tribe of the Danites, whose name was Manoah, And his wife was barren and had no children. And the angel of the Lord appeared to the woman and said to her, Behold, you are barren and have not born children, but you shall conceive and bear a son. Therefore be careful and drink no wine or strong drink and eat nothing unclean. For behold, you shall conceive and bear a son. No razor shall come upon his head, for the child shall be a Nazarite to God from the womb. And he shall begin to save Israel from the hand of the Philistines. May God bless the reading of his word. He may be seated. So just to remind you, this is the, the final judge in the book of Judges. And just to remind you of the, the pattern that we've seen throughout the book of Judges, see on the screen, uh, this cycle that the people of Israel sin by committing idolatry God judges them by enslaving them to a foreign power. Here, the Philistines, and and this time it's for 40 years, which is the longest enslavement that they have uh, in the book of Judges. Then in the cycle, typically, as we've seen throughout the book of Judges, the people of God repent or cry out to God for deliverance. And so he raises up for them a judge who saves them, and they follow the Lord as long as that judge is alive, and then they go back into the cycle again. But this is the last judge in the cycle. And this time, what's unique here in this story is that the people of Israel do not cry out at all. They don't repent. They don't confess. They don't cry out at all for salvation this time. But God is still merciful to his people. Now, this may raise some questions for you and what we're gonna to do tonight since this is the last judge in the book of Judges, we'll have a time of question and answer at the end of the service and there'll be, I think there'll be a number on the screen where you can uh, text your questions in and we'll try to answer whatever questions you have uh, that have come up or that will come up tonight about the book of Judges. But it's, it's incredibly uh, unique that the people of Israel aren't even confessing their sin at this point and yet God still raises up for them a savior. And God uses a saint, according to the book of Hebrews named Samson, to rescue the people of Israel. Now, as we just read, there's a guy there in the tribe of Dan named Manoah, and his wife is barren. She's not able to have any children. And this is not just a personal crisis, although it is a personal crisis. If a a lady who's Married who wants to have children and wants to start a family is not able to that's a source of incredible pain and hurt in her life. But in the Old Testament for a lady not to be able to have children is not just a personal crisis it is a cosmic crisis. Because the Bible says in Genesis chapter three, that it is the offspring of the woman who is going to crush the head of the serpent. And so to not be able to have children in the Old Testament is to not be able to to contribute to that promise of a a child that will be born, that will bring an end to death, that will bring an end to the curse of sin. And yet, even though this, this lady cannot have children, an angel comes to her and reveals to her that she is going to have a miraculous birth and the child, the the son that she gives birth to is going to begin to save uh, the people of Israel from their enemies. Does that sound familiar at all? You know, an angel that comes to a lady that can't have children and and says, you're going to have a child and he's going to be a savior. So that's what we just read here in Judges chapter 13, and the angel says to this this woman that your child is going to be specially set apart by God, to be used by God, and, and it's very similar. that The the, the, uh, the nation of Israel itself, what we're going to see about Samson, is that Samson's life in many ways mirrors the life of the nation of Israel. The nation of Israel had been, been called out from all the other nations, had been set aside from all the other nations as the special people of God that God was going to use in the world, and so Samson is now going to be set apart specially to be used by God in the world, and Samson is going to specifically be called to be a Nazirite, all right, as we just, we just read. And a Nazirite, there were three different stipulations for a Nazirite, for somebody who was specially set apart for God for this special assignment. The Nazarite was not supposed to consume any grapes. Okay, It's not just, you read back in the book of Numbers, it's not just not consuming fermented grapes, but not consume any grapes whatsoever. Okay, a, a Nazarite was not supposed to touch any dead body and a Nazarite was not supposed to ever get a haircut. Okay, and so Samson, no grapes, no corpses, no haircuts. That's what God is calling him to. And God says that he's gonna use him to begin to save Israel from the Philistines. And we see that Samson is a saint that God sets aside and uses for his purposes. The Bible tells us, you go down into chapter 13, verse 24 and 25, that God blesses Samson and the Holy Spirit begins to work in Samson's life. Listen to what the Bible says. And the woman bore a son and called his name Samson. And the young man grew and the Lord blessed him. And the Spirit of the Lord began to stir him in Mahanadan between Zorah and Eshtoel. And so he's blessed by God and the Holy Spirit begins to work in his life. And in fact, four times in this story about Samson, we are told how the Holy Spirit works in the life of Samson. In our lives as believers, the Holy Spirit works in our life. One of the ways the Holy Spirit works in our life is to engage in spiritual warfare against principalities and powers. The Holy Spirit engages in Samson's life to engage in warfare. And we see that the strength of Samson, I said this to you a couple of years ago when I preached uh, on the life of Samson, that all the, one of my disappointments as an Old Testament guy is that all of the the movies that depict Samson, you know, get this bodybuilder, you know, ripped muscle guy to to portray Samson. And the Bible tells us it's not about his muscles and it's not about his physical strength. It's about the spirit of God working in his life. So if, if I were a producer in Hollywood and I were producing for Netflix a, a show or a series about Samson, like I'd have a, a shrimpy guy like Tom Cruise, you know, <laughs> That's who, that's who'd be Samson. And we'd see that it's, it's, it's about God working in his life and not about his muscles. And so it's the Holy Spirit. When we are told in the text four different times that the Holy Spirit begins to work in Samson's life and to stir in Samson's life. That means the Philistines are in trouble when that happens. When the the spirit comes upon Samson and a lion attacks him, he rips that lion to shreds with his bare hands without any weapons. When the spirit comes on Samson, he defeats and kills 30 Philistines. When Samson is betrayed by his own people, the tribe of Judah betray Samson and they 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 tie him up and they hand him over to the Philistines. The spirit comes on Samson and he rips out of his uh, chains and he takes a donkey's jawbone and kills a thousand Philistines by the power of the spirit. And think about that. What would it be like? Like, Um, I've had this opportunity in my life um, because of my my dad and, and other people where I've been in a context where I've had to greet a thousand people. And when that happens, guess what? I'm exhausted. Like, have you ever said hello to a thousand people in a row? It's exhausting. Now, imagine... Taking a jawbone and killing a thousand people in a row—how exhausting do you think that would be? And the Bible tells us in Judges 15 that after Samson does that, that he is exhausted and he is worn out. And guess what? God provides for his needs. And listen out specifically how God provides for his needs. Judges 15, verses 18 and following. And he was very thirsty. That's an understatement. And he called upon the Lord and he said, you have granted this great salvation by the hand of your servant. Shall I now die of thirst and fall into the hands of the uncircumcised? And God split open the hollow place that is at Lehi and water came out from it. And when he drank, his spirit returned and he revived. Therefore, the name of it was called En-Hakor. It is at Lehi to this day. And he judged Israel in the days of the Philistines 20 years. And so God, just like he did with the people of Israel, water out of the rock to sustain them in the wilderness. Now, water out of the rock to sustain Samson and to provide for his needs. And so Samson is a saint that is used by God and blessed by God. But while Samson is a saint who is used by God and blessed by God, I mean, listen, here's the thing about the story of Samson, that Samson is the only Israelite Who's fighting against the enemies of the people of Israel? He's the only Israelite who's fighting against the Philistines and opposing them. All of the people of Israel have compromised. It's not just that they, uh, you know, are, are passively accepting the rule of the Philistines in their life. They are. They are actively compromising with the Philistines. In fact, again, the people of Judah have handed over their savior, handed over their champion to the people of uh, the Philistines. But just like the people of Israel are compromising with the Philistines, we start to see that their savior, Samson, acts just like them. We start to see flaws in Samson where he acts just like The other Israelites. Go to chapter 14 and verse 3. We see uh, the first specific case of this. Judges 14, verse 3. But his father and his mother said to him, Is there not a woman among the daughters of your relatives or among all our people that you must go to take a wife from the uncircumcised Philistines? But Samson said to his father, Get her for me, for she is right in my eyes Samson meets a Philistine girl and likes her and wants to marry her and we start to see these flaws in Samson he wants to marry a non-Israelite now let me just be clear about what's going on here and why this is wrong Samson wanting to marry a Philistine girl is wrong because of her religion not because of her race okay And I don't mean to be unkind, and and, uh, I've only got two weeks left, so I can be as forceful as I wanna be. (laughs) People who say you need to stick to your own kind when they talk about marriage and they talk about race are sinful and evil and wicked and need to shut their mouths. The issue in the Bible when God says to marry your own kind is not about race. It's about whether or not that person has faith in the Lord. And so the issue here for Samson is not that he wants to marry someone from a different people group. It's that he's marrying an idolater. And that's why the New Testament says you're not to be unequally Yoked. It doesn't mean not marrying somebody from a different race. It means don't marry someone who doesn't share your faith. And that's Samson's issue. That's why his parents say, listen, why can't you marry an Israelite girl? You're marrying these un, somebody from the uncircumcised, somebody that's not part of the covenant faith of Israel. Like you can go read the Old Testament. There's plenty of times where Israelites marry non-Israelites, that's okay, right? Ruth is not an Israelite. Rahab, not an Israelite. And they're in the line of Jesus. The issue is, do they share your faith? And the issue here is the reason why Samson wants to marry her. He says to his mother and father, get her for me, for she is right in my eyes. Now, eyes Are really important in the book of Judges. We have heard over and over and over again that the people of Israel did evil in the eyes of the Lord. And one of the key refrains, we're going to see this specifically next week in the book of Judges, Judges 21, verse 25, is this In those days, there was no king in Israel, everyone did what was right in his own eyes. This is the issue with Samson. And this is the issue with the nation of Israel. They're not doing what is right in the Lord's eyes. They are doing what is right in their own eyes. They're saying, I'm gonna do things my way. I'm not gonna do things God's way. Not only that, but Samson here is refusing to honor and obey his parents. His parents tell him, no, this is not right. Don't you want to do something else? And he he goes against the counsel of his parents. Let me just say this, young people. Those of you who are young and those of you who are going to, to grow up and get married in the next few years or decade, or uh, you should, if your parents love you, and if your parents love Jesus, then you should listen to them and receive their counsel when it comes to the people that you date and the people that you marry. You say, well, they don't understand and they're out of touch and whatever. And, and here's the thing, no, no, no. Um, I've told you this before. I, I love the, the quote from Mark Twain who said, when I was a boy of 14, my old, my old man was so ignorant and dumb, I could, start, could hardly stand to have him around. And by the time I turned 21, I was uh, amazed by how much the old man had learned Okay, and so that's one of the things you'll you'll figure out when you become an adult who has to you know pay your own bills and those kind of things. You'll you'll learn. Um, You know, my parents weren't as dumb as I thought they were. But when the people listen, like this is just a good you know rule for your life. When the people who love you and care about you the most are against something that you're trying to do, maybe you should listen to them. Remember. somebody who was close with my younger brother was leaving college and was in a relationship with somebody and was moving in with that person. And, um, everybody, all of her friends, her parents, my brother who was uh, connected with her, all of them looked at her and said, this is a bad idea. You don't need to do this. And my brother pled with her. He said, listen, there's not one person who loves you who thinks this is a good idea. And she said, I don't, I don't care, I'm gonna do it anyways. And Samson does not receive counsel and does not receive advice from his parents and he wants to do what he wants to do and it leads to disaster. And so Samson, yeah, he's a, he's a saint, but he's also a sinner. One of the things that we see in the life of Samson is that he slowly starts to violate those stipulations that he had. He's not again, he's not supposed to consume grapes. He's not supposed to touch a corpse. He's not supposed to cut his hair. Early on in the story of Samson, we're not going to read it, but he he begins to violate his vows. He touches a corpse in a vineyard, okay, and he, he begins he violates the the first vow and he violates the second vow. And so like, if you're reading the story, and, and if this were you know, a show on Netflix, there would be ominous music in the background. Like, hey, this is bad news. And if he violates the first two, what do you think is gonna happen with the haircutting thing? Think he's gonna violate that as well? The same thing is true for us. Again, there are moments in our life where we may do things that don't in the moment seem like that big a deal, But we should hear that ominous music, you know, the background music of our life. Like, again, children, when you don't listen to your parents and you say, I'm gonna do what I wanna do and I'm not gonna listen to my parents, there should be that music going off in the back of your mind. Like, maybe this isn't the greatest idea in the world. When you think to yourself, you know what, Uh, when you uh, are married and you, uh, go to work and there's a coworker that you work with and you like their attention and you like the fact that they laugh at your jokes and you and you and you like talking to them more than you like talking to your spouse. Then maybe like you should hear that warning music in the back of your mind. Or you're going to the gym and you're getting in shape and there's a person there that you that you wear certain clothes for and you think, man, I can't. I, I hope I run into them today. Like that should be warning in the back of your mind. This may seem like it's not that big a deal, but it is a big deal. And then Samson, uh, his biggest issues, honestly, are two things, his lust and his overconfidence. His lust and his overconfidence. He, he marries this Philistine woman. It doesn't work out, and don't go into the whole story there. He then visits a Philistine prostitute, puts himself in danger, and then finally, um, he, he ends up with this woman, Delilah. Okay, this Philistine woman, Delilah, and it is his undoing. And Delilah comes to him and she's being paid off by the rulers of the Philistines to figure out the secret of his power. And so three different times, three times, Delilah says to him, what is the source of your power? And he thinks it's a game. He thinks it's a joke. And so he's like, well, hey, if you, you know, if you, if you, tie up my hair this way, then, then I won't be powerful anymore. If you bind me this way, I won't be powerful anymore. And so three times she does exactly what he says will take away his power. He wakes up. She says, the Philistines are coming and he breaks out of whatever she did to him and beats up the Philistines. Three times this happens. And the fourth time Delilah comes to him and she says, You don't love me, why won't you tell me the truth? If you really love me, you tell me. And so he says, Well, if you cut off my hair, I'll be like any other guy. Now again, whenever I whenever I read that, you know, in the story of Samson, I'm thinking to myself, like, what does he think she's going to do? Like three times you told her to do things. She's done all of them. You know, what do you think is gonna happen here? And here's here's the bottom line, I think. The text doesn't exactly tell us this, but I think Samson knows exactly what she's going to do. And Samson doesn't think that it's going to matter. Because Samson is so confident in his gifts and abilities that he's presuming that because God has blessed his life all along, that God's going to continue to bless his life. And that because he's been strong all along, he's gonna continue to be strong. He thinks it's a joke. And what Samson does not realize is that his sinful appetites are bringing him to his knees. It's not one decision that he's made. It's a thousand tiny decisions. Now, we can... Oftentimes you, when you read the story of Samson or you, you hear it taught in Sunday school class or vacation Bible school, he's taught as this guy that we're supposed to not be like. And it's easy for us to kind of sit here and read these stories with superiority and think, man, I, you know I, I would never do that kind of thing. I would never be like that. But here's the deal. We are capable of all kinds of wickedness just like Samson. We're we're capable of telling our home builder to write verses on the studs of their house and acting just like every other person or worse than every other person that they build a house for when we don't get what we want. And so Samson is a saint, but he is also a sinner. And finally what happens is this woman Delilah betrays him for silver and hands him over to the Philistines where he is captured. He has his eyes put out. He is blinded by the Philistines and he goes into captivity. Listen to what the Bible says. Go there into Judges chapter 16 and verse 18. When Delilah saw that he had told her all his heart, she sent and called the lords of the Philistines saying, come up again for he has told me all his heart. Then the lords of the Philistines came up to her and brought the money in their hands. She made him sleep on her knees and she called a man and had him shave off the seven locks of his head. Then she began to torment him and his strength left him. And she said, the Philistines are upon you, Samson. And he awoke from his sleep and said, I will go out as at other times and shake myself free. But he did not know that the Lord had left him. And the Philistines seized him and gouged out his eyes and brought him down to Gaza and bound him with bronze shackles and he ground at the mill in the prison. God uses and God works through sinner saints, but your sin will cost you and your sin will hurt you. And yet the good news of the gospel is that The cost and the hurt and the pain is not the final story. Despite his wickedness, despite Samson's great sin, God still uses him to do what God wants him to do. God is gracious and can bring blessing in your life despite your sin and despite your errors. Let's see what happens at the end of the life of Samson. Go there in chapter 16 to verse 22, and we'll read down through the end of the chapter. But the hair of his head began to grow again after it had been shaved. Now the lords of the Philistines gathered to offer a great sacrifice to Dagon, their God, and to rejoice, and they said, our God has given Samson, our enemy, into our hand. And when the people saw him, they praised their God. For they said, our God has given our enemy into our hand, the ravager of our country who has killed many of us. And when, the, when their hearts were merry, read drunk, they said, call Samson that he may entertain us. So they called Samson out of the prison and he entertained them. They made him stand between the pillars. And Samson said to the young man who held him by the hand, Let me feel the pillars on which the house rests, that I may lean against them. Now the house was full of men and women. All the lords, the rulers of the Philistines, were there. And on the roof, there were about 3,000 men and women who looked on while Samson entertained. Then Samson called to the Lord and said, O Lord God, please remember me. And please strengthen me only this once, O God, that I may be avenged on the Philistine for my two eyes. And Samson grasped the two middle pillars on which the house rested. And he leaned his weight against them, his right hand on the one and his left hand on the other. And Samson said, let me die with the Philistines. Then he bowed with all his strength and the house fell upon the Lord's and upon all the people who were in it. So the dead whom he killed at his death were more than those whom he had killed during his life. Then his brothers and all his family came down and took him and brought him up and buried him between Zorah and Eshtuel in the tomb of Manoah, his father. He had judged Israel 20 years. This story of Samson the, the challenge that we have, and again, I've, I've told you this over and over and over again as I've been your pastor. Uh, the challenge that we have is that we approach the stories in the Bible like they were Aesop's fables. And so what is the lesson that we need to learn here? Who, who's the good guy that we need to act like? Who's the bad guy that we don't, you know, don't need to be like? We approach these stories like Aesop's fables. But that's not the reason why the story about Samson is here in the Bible. It's not like, you know, You need to go and do likewise, be like Samson. You know That's not the reason why this story is in the Bible. The reason why this story is here in the book of Judges is because God is showing us that he can save his people through one man anointed by the spirit of God. You think about as we've read through the book of Judges, it's become fewer and fewer and fewer people that God is using to rescue his people. The beginning of the book, It's a guy who goes out and gathers an army from all of Israel. Then you get down to Gideon. He's got 300 guys that he uses to rescue the people. And now at the end of the story, it's one guy. Samson's the only guy fighting against the Philistines. And yet God uses him to rescue his people. And this is pointing us to Jesus and to what Jesus has done for us. Samson is arrested, blinded, mocked by the people of Israel at a basically what's happening in the story is uh, the Dagon version of the Lord's Supper. And so they 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 throw a party, they they have this feast that they put on to celebrate our God has beaten the god of the Israelites and our God has beaten their champion. And so having this this celebration this this party to Dagon and they're mocking Samson, and they're parading him around and they're laughing at him and they're laughing at the God of Israel. And as they do that, what's happening is Samson is taking on the judgment that Israel deserves. Again, the Bible tells us, Deuteronomy chapter 28, God says to his people, if you commit idolatry, if you reject me and you worship foreign gods, then I'm gonna send you into a foreign land where you can serve those people and serve their gods. And this is happening to Samson. He's taking on the judgment that Israel deserves. And yet in that place, as he is being mocked and humiliated before the the enemies of the people of God, he cries out to God in faith and he crushes the heads of the enemies of the people of God. He gains a greater victory in his death, we just read, than he did in his life. Who else in the Bible gains his greatest victory in his death? Who else in the Bible shows his greatest power at the moment of his greatest weakness? And the answer is obviously the Lord Jesus Christ. There's no one who's looking at Samson as he's blinded and he's being mocked and paraded around and thought, that's the guy that God's gonna use to save his people. And there's no one who is looking on at Jesus, naked on the cross, gasping in his dying breath and thinks that's the man that God's gonna use to save the world. And yet God delights to use the weak to shame the strong. Samson looks like he's been abandoned by God, but God's strength is made perfect in Samson's weakness. And it's not an accident that the moment of his greatest humiliation is what God uses to gain his greatest victory. And this points us to Jesus. Think about Jesus, like Samson. Samson's mother couldn't have children. Jesus' mother shouldn't have children. She's a virgin. And yet an angel comes to her and says, you're gonna have a miraculous birth and you're gonna give birth to a savior. Just like Samson, Jesus is anointed by the Holy Spirit. Just like Samson, Jesus does battle with the enemy. He, he, he defeats the, the roaring lion that's trying to devour us. Just like Samson, Jesus is betrayed by his own and handed over to the Gentiles. Just like Jesus, he's betrayed by a close associate with a kiss for silver, And handed over to the enemies. Like Samson, similar to Samson, Samson was blinded. Jesus, who you read in the New Testament, was blindfolded and mocked and paraded around and humiliated. And then in his weakness and suffering, with his arms outstretched, just like Samson on the cross, he gains his greatest victory and he crushes the head of the serpent. And Jesus dies unlike Samson, not for his sins, but for our sins. And he gains the greatest victory. Samson was no jihadist suicide bomber. Samson was a soldier who died, sacrificed himself to save others. And so was the Lord Jesus. Jesus says, no one takes my life. I lay it down and I will take it back up again. But the book of Judges, this is the last judge in the book, it ends with a dead Savior. It ends with a dead judge, but the gospel does not. Jesus, three days later, opens his eyes, stands up, and walks out of the grave to give us victory over sin and death. Remember, when I was talking to my friend, Eric, and he said, you know, that guy, Samson, was he even saved? And I, I honestly, which he probably didn't ask for, I just explained to my friend, Eric, when he asked me that, everything that I just explained to you, so I, I shared with him how Jesus pointed to Christ, and he kind of sat there with his mouth dropped and like amazed that I would say that Samson points to Jesus and said, I can't believe what you're saying. But here's the, here's the bottom line about the story of Samson. I can't believe that the Bible says about people like Samson and me that there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That despite our sin and despite our wickedness, we have been received and accepted by God Almighty. Here's what the Bible says about Samson. Hebrews chapter 11. These verses are amazing. What more shall I say? For time would fail me to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah of David and Samuel and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. The Bible tells us, no matter who you are, no matter what you have done, God can still save you, and God can still use you for his glory. Let me ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes. I'm gonna pray, we're gonna stand and sing and have a few minutes of response, and then we'll answer briefly whatever questions that you have. But here's the the deal, every person in this room, like Samson, has capacity for great evil and for great good. But no matter what you have done, no matter where you have been, like Samson, you can be a trophy of God's grace. And so I'm gonna pray, and we're gonna stand and sing, and here's what I wanna challenge you to do. If you want a new start, if you want forgiveness, if you want God to still use you, if you want God to clean up the brokenness and the mess of your life, we're gonna have pastors here at the front who would love to talk to you about how Jesus can do that tonight before you leave. In Christ, there is freedom. In Christ, there is new start. In Christ, there's forgiveness. In Christ, he can take the broken pieces of your life and begin to put them back together. No matter where you are, no matter what you've done, he can still use you to do incredible things for his glory. And so that's you, if you need to talk with someone or have someone pray over you and the hurt and the mess and the pain of your life. We'd love to be able to, to pray for you. We'd love to be able to talk with you. Love, love to be able to, to love on you and just share with you what Jesus can do in your life. Maybe you're here and you're a believer in Christ, but you've never made that public in baptism. We'd love to talk to you about baptism. Maybe you need to join uh, with a church. We'd love to have you here. Maybe you just wanna come to these steps and pray and and repent and, and to to get to that point where Samson Samson needed to get to that lowest point, to that point of brokenness, before he really began to depend upon God and God used him to do the greatest things that God wanted to do in his life. All the other things that Samson had done before paled in comparison to what God did at the end of his life. And so this is a time for us to humble ourselves before the Lord and to say, Lord, forgive me for my overconfidence forgive me for presuming upon your blessing and presuming upon your grace i want to be broken i want to be humble before you so that you can so that you can show your power and your greatness and your glory through me and so whatever it is that you need to cry out to the lord and and ask him to do in your life this is the time to do it father i pray in the name of jesus that you would help us to be a broken, humble, and contrite people, not an arrogant, hypocritical, self-assured people, that we would lean on you so that you could shine through us. So Father, show your strength in our weakness. Show your glory even through our shame. We are so thankful for Jesus and for what he has done for us. And because of him, we we know there are second chances, there are third chances, there are fourth chances. No matter who we are, no matter what we've done, you can still work in our life. And God, I ask that you would do that now. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand to your feet? We're gonna sing. If you have a decision to make, you come right now while we sing.